Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To finally go back to a movie theater? Yeah, yeah w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of Double Feature where we got, you know, double the cage, double the cringe. How you doing, Brad? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. <laughs> Especially when we're talking about Nick Cage films. Yeah, man, we got, we got a special episode today. You know, usually we deal with a lot of cinema juxtaposition where we talk about one film one or two films, you know, loved by critics and fans and, you know, other films that are just, you know, loved by us. But uh, this is the Nick Cage episode, or, you know, how I like to call it, the A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Remember that clip where he's saying the alphabet and he's wilding oh, out? Man, I, I know exactly the clip you're talking about, it's from this but you could put a gun to my head and I couldn't tell you which film it's from. I didn't know. I had to look it up online. It's called Vampire's Kiss. That's the same one where he runs through, like, the town going, I'm a vampire, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I want to suck your blood. Oh, God, it's... Where do I... we start, man? I mean, where do we start? That... I mean, we should probably start where it's good, because that's going to be the shorter <laughs> end of it. This is a sp- that, that's going to be, like, five minutes, and then we're going to get into the rest of it. Look, this, is, this is a sprawling conversation here. We're going to start where he got the Oski from. Oscar. Uh, Leaving Las Vegas, man. You know, great, powerful film about a romance between, um, you know, um, a drunk played by Cage and um, a prostitute uh, with a heart of gold played by Elizabeth Shue. You know, this got him on the map. You know, it got him his his Oscar. And it's a great performance. It's really, you know, kind of like a harrowing performance, really. Like, it's, it's, it's Cage at his best thespian wise i guess you could say yeah like cage has always been a good actor oh yeah but he never really takes most of his roles seriously which is great i think that's the opposite and, i think he takes it too seriously okay it, for some of them yes yeah. for some you can tell he doesn't you know he's kind of phoning it in a little bit like uh you have some performances like his stuff in mandy i think that's what it was called right oh, the man. The new one from A24? Yeah, well, was that A24? But I, I, I know it was Panos Cosmatos who made it, but I don't know if it was A24, but okay. yeah. I know it was an indie film studio that uh, was kind of up and coming in it. Oh, no, it was um, the Legion of... Uh, mo- ah, crap. Let's I'm- look it up. I can find it. Yeah, because it was done by the same people that did uh, Kevin Smith's uh, Jane Silent Bob reboot movie, now that I think about it. Spectrovision, uh, U-Media, and XYZ Films. Okay. And RJLE Films distributed it. Eh. Yeah, that was a great movie. But um, yeah. what you think of Leaving Las Vegas? What do you think about it? Oh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, it's a classic. It's one of those movies I didn't see in theaters or anything. It was kind of... I was too I young. Was, yeah, I was going through a movie marathon with people for a bunch of like really good like Oscar-winning movies, and that one was one that popped up, and I was like... At first, I was kind of wondering when Nick Cage was going to show up instead of right, a guy right, impersonating right. Nick Cage. Right. When, when, when is Cage going to show up, yeah. you know? <laughs> but, uh, no, he took that role seriously to, like, a perfect degree. Yeah. Uh, even scenes where, you know, it shouldn't have been as serious, like casino scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. Because he was a rabid gambler in the movie. Like, he wasn't a good person at all in that movie, but you kind of kept cheering for him a little bit. He was a rabid gambler and a, and a, and a raging drunk, and you just wanted yep. to see how far this rabbit hole was going to go. And if I recall correctly, the way he even meets the prostitute is he nearly runs her over. Right, right, right. And you feel sad for her because you wonder how far she's willing to go with him. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's the downward spiral in their love. But a very solid movie, and another one we got that's uh, critically acclaimed and you know, loved by the audiences, Lord of War. See, that's one that never popped up on my, like, I know of it, but I never got to sit down and actually watch that one. Dude, that's a great ladder cage, man, because, again, another serious performance. Um, It's him and Ethan Hawke, um, Andrew Nicole, who wrote The Truman Show, made the film. Uh, He's an illegal arms dealer, 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's based off many stories of illegal arms dealers, but it's, it's shot very well. Jared Leto plays his younger brother. And it's a great movie, man. I wish I wish you sh- you should go see it. Uh, it's definitely going to be on my list, but it's one that I've heard of and then I just never got to. I'm pretty sure I probably own it on DVD or Blu-ray or something. I do own it. It's at my mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I moved out, you know, I, I haven't really gone back to pick it up. Like, let me go all the way back to the West Side of Detroit to pick up Lord of War. I'm like, no, that's, I can I can find that. <laughs> I don't have to go all the way back. I'll just to pick keep that watching up. clips on YouTube until the full story comes through. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, but I guess that's the end of the first first end of the spectrum there yeah pretty much that and mandy are like the only like critically acclaimed ones okay so uh, or actually there is one more that's pretty critically acclaimed but not so much because of nick cage weatherman uh, not weatherman kick-ass hmm yeah kick-ass yeah that one was because it was kind of like at the start of the whole superheroes movies are taking right. over theaters and before everybody was like burned down and everything and it was something completely different because it was like a gory superhero it was kind of like the movie super definitely and it, it was coming out at that like perfect timing that people were still going to see like oddball superhero movies i pitched it as a irreverent dark knight to my mother she hates it by the way Really? Yes, uh, and I'm a big fan of Mark Miller too. But yeah, okay, kick ass. I give you that. Because um, he, he did great he was, in that one. He, he did, but he wasn't really in there. No, that was more so Chloe Moretz and you know Aaron Taylor Johnson and McLovin. I know McLovin. McLovin, <laughs> McLovin has a name, Christopher Pletz or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that sounds like right. That. Uh, yeah, because that was one of the movies where, for the first time ever. Because I remember there was always like the whole uh, Nick Cage playing Superman thing. And that movie was the first time I went, Nick Cage could probably play a good Batman too now. If he actually like did it as that kind of like Batman instead of as, uh, you know, Nick Cage. As Nick Cage. (laughs) (laughs) We got to just talk about the myth of Nick Cage. So before we go into this other spectrum here where we're going to be sprawling through a lot of movies, uh, what is Nick Cage, man? Uh, absolute craziness in a single person, uh, complete disregard for cinema in a way. I disagree with that. I think he really, I think when, I think when the camera is on him, it's kind of like that, you know, abnormal Tom Cruise effect. I got this theory that Tom Cruise, no matter what movie he's in, he's always good. Even if the movie is bad, Tom Cruise is still Tom Cruise. I feel like Cage, whenever the camera is on him, he knows he has to give his absolute best, even if if that can be, you know... Just in a different way. Right, right, just in a different way. And, you know, it's sometimes to his detriment. Like, he he goes all in even when some films don't require it. Like, Cage, really? Like, you, you, you yelling, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire. This movie is not that serious. You know, he goes all in. And I think he cares about cinema, but he just... It's a it's it's a it's a matter of trying to know how to channel it, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, Am I making sense. It he's one of those actors that you could pick him out of like any crowd just based on like the lines that he has in the movie. Like right. if you looked at a movie script and you scratched out all the names, you could look at it and go, okay, I can tell which one's being played by Nick Cage here. You mm-hmm. know, very easily for. I can say probably 80% of the films that he does, you can easily pick that out just based on the lines because that is the role that, you know, directors keep bringing him into movies for. It's kind of like the Jim Carrey effect. In 90s pinnacle Jim Carrey was in everything like the same except for like a couple oddball ones. And Nick Cage kind of falls into the same thing where he's picked out for these roles almost. I feel like with Jim Carrey though, he was like that top comedian guy in that era though. Yeah. So so that I think that that adds to that. Uh, but he dug himself into a hole where that was all people thought he could do until he did did like uh Man on the Moon. Man on the Moon, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Truman Show. Truman Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So until enough. he did those, everybody was like, Oh yeah, he's just the goofy guy that's in all the movies. And Nick Cage kinda has that same thing, and then all of a sudden he pulls things like Mandy and, you know, living in Las Vegas, and you're like, 
oh, there, there is something else to this guy. I still love him. But I think there's something to be said about that. I think like when you look at a Mandy, when you look at a bad lieutenant, even a film like, and I didn't see this yet, uh, Mom and Dad, that kind of craziness, I think that's where Nicolas Cage shines. When you have outrageousness going on, Cage shines. When you got a regular movie like, and it's not regular because it's about the apocalypse knowing. I don't know if you ever saw that one. That one I never saw. Okay, if you got a if you got a thriller like Con Air or The Rock or uh, Face Off, you know you're gonna get the outrageous Nick Cage that mm-hmm. might that maybe or maybe not kind of belong there. You know what I mean? Like Face Off, because he's like that straight out the gate. You automatically, as an audience member, assume okay, it's that kind of crazy movie. But what if John Woo was like, huh, I didn't expect this movie looking like this, but let's go with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I for that movie, it starts off with uh, Nick Cage basically running through like a church with Hallelujah playing in the background, and he's like dressed as a priest. Right, right, right. And right before that, it has like a somber like like flashback where he he shoots, he tries to. Oh, that's right. He, he kills to, John Travolta's kid. Right. He tries to. Yeah, he was trying to uh, shoot John Travolta, but he accidentally ended up shooting the kid. So you're like, okay, this is a serious '90s movie. Then you cut to the church scene. It's like, okay, this is outrageous. Then on the airplane, you know, I like a good peach. Oh yeah, <laughs> remember that lady gave the woman the the stewardess. Oh that man. Oh, and then the way he just throws her off the plane after he kills her and right. just shrugs and it's like, oh, this is. I love everything about this movie already. See, that's the. This 90s, is going to be a though. terrible movie, but God, I'm going to love it. <laughs> that's the '90s, though. That's what a '90s film is, right? Oh there. yeah, Face Off and Con Air. Those oh, one hundred percent. Good explanations. Oh, well, not explanations, but those are the two good examples of what those films were like. But all right, I see that like, we we've already come into this second spectrum here. What's 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 the first film we can say that you know we love, but we know critics are like, oh, that out of here. We love that critics. In a way, we already said two. I- I would say Face Off is definitely up there as a movie that I could probably watch endless amounts of times and enjoy, but not in the same way that most people are, well, not in the way it's supposed to be enjoyed. It's kind of like a movie like The Room, where the movie's bad, but you enjoy it because of how bad it is. Dude, I don't think Face Off is that bad, though. Really? I feel like... I, okay, the performances are over the top, granted, but I feel like John Woo, he, he keeps the campiness going to an effect where it, it benefits the film. It's not like John Woo was like from a Tommy Wiseau perspective, like, we're going to make this serious, and then in the end kind of shrug off like, oh, no, it was a comedy. Like, I feel like it was made the way it was supposed to be made. Really? Yeah, like, I stand by Face Off. I, 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 it's, it's a great campy 90s movie. Oh, 100%. I'll agree with that. But I, I don't think it was kind of in John Woo's original, like, vision. Because he takes a lot of serious movies. He even took, like, the comic book Hulk and tried to make that, like, a serious drama. Uh-uh. Wrong director. That's uh, that's Ang Lee. Oh, Ang Lee. Wrong uh, Listen, dove Let me tell person. you who John Woo is, man. John Woo is My a bad. Person. I got the dove people mixed up. <laughs> yeah, you got the dove people mixed up, man. John Woo made hard-boiled... Where the last thirty minutes is, um, I forgot the actor's name, uh, but it, it's it's him and it's two protagonists trying to save babies from uh in and th- throwing them out the window to the uh to the firemen because the the, the maternity ward is on fire and they're also shooting at bad guys at the same time. Okay, you're that's gonna John have to, Woo. We're gonna have to backtrack on that one minute. So it's about. A maternity ward that's on. No, no, that's just the ending. The movie. Oh, okay. The movie itself is about, I think, uh, two detectives and um, there was an assassination that happened. The movie's called Hard Boiled. I gotta, I gotta look it up real quick. But um, basically, the climax of the film takes place in a hospital, and a maternity ward is on fire. And um, <laughs> Chow Young Fat is the lead actor. But look at the poster, man. He's holding a baby, dog. The climax oh, that of, is perfect. Yes, the climax of the film takes place in uh, the maternity ward, and there's there's hitman killers coming, and they're shooting at these hitman killers while also you know throwing the babies out to the firemen to catch them and save them. Dude, this is where I shoot them up with Clive Owen. This is this is the inspiration for that movie. Uh, you Re- remember that movie? I remember that movie. Yes, this is the inspiration for that movie. I'm gonna have to check that movie out now, though. Yeah, that's John Woo. That's, that's okay. That's John Woo right there. So I. 
now curious how many John Woo movies I've seen that I've gone, oh, this is Ang Lee, just because of the doves. <laughs> Ang Lee uses doves? What, what, what movie did he use doves in? Uh, pretty much everything. Life of Pi? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's there. I'm, mm. I'm willing to take this challenge, because I know that they have it in like Hulk and everything, and I'm trying to remember what other big movies he had, but it, I swear every single one of them had doves. I think when you look at John Woo and the kind of films he was making around the time of Face Off, you got Broken Arrow with John Travolta and Christian Slater. You see the way that movie's made, Face Off is made the way it is. You got Mission Impossible 2. You got Paycheck with Ben Affleck. I think, yeah, Face Off was made the way it was supposed to be made. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It well. I stand by it. It... The way it was made, I think, worked out for it. I still don't think it was what was originally intended to be like that. I feel like once they got Nick Cage and John Travolta, it probably turned to that. Mm -hmm. But given the plot and everything, like even the plot is somewhat serious at times, it doesn't come off as a movie that I would have cast those two people for. But that's funny because, look, and maybe for nostalgic reasons, when you say to me face-off, I instantly say, okay, Travolta Cage. Like, to me as a kid, looking at that poster, like, Cage, Travolta, that was epic to me as a kid. Mm. I wasn't supposed to watch the movie because it was violent, but I snuck and watched it anyway. You know, of course. As, as kids do. You know, that, that was epic to me. Um, I want to say, you ever saw Con Air? Con Air. I did, but I don't really remember much about that one. Okay, so a bunch of inmates... Um, on a plane being transported to another prison, I assume. And John Malkovich is the bad guy. I remember that much. Yeah. And so basically the, the plane goes, you know, they, the plane goes rogue, the prisoners take over and, you know, Nicholas Cage, you know, he's in prison for, you know, uh, I guess he was protecting his wife, but it was, um, it was, it was murder. So he has to, uh, kind of fight himself off the plane or make sure the plane lands safely and get back to his wife and kid. And Yeah. That's a great campy movie, man. It, That's a terrible movie that I love. What was the critic uh, approval on that one? Just oh. pulling it up on like Rotten Tomatoes. Oh man, I right, do we do we really have to search? I, I'm uh, I'm curious on that one. Fifty five percent. Fifty five. Okay, that's not know, too bad, dude. I'm split on Rotten Tomatoes though because that's just kind of like a you know that's a that's a that's a statistical thing. You know what but, I mean? Yeah, it's basically going what percentage of people give this a C or higher. Right, 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 right. That's what the percentage is, but it's still a good way to kind of see a general consensus. Of course, you got to deep dive if you care enough about the number, but as like a general broad number, it's typically pretty good especially when it comes to the critic reviews audience score is a whole different thing but for the critics it's a good way of like aggregating all the scores into a single thing and kind of going 55 percent of critics that saw it, it thought that it's a movie worth seeing that that's all that says yeah but i gotta tell you something man when it comes to outrageousness there's nothing to me more outrageous than um still in the declaration of independence oh National Na Treasure. That movie is so good. Uh, oh I want to say they're trying to make another one. I wouldn't doubt it. They got two. I don't remember the second one that much. All I remember is him, again, Cage being Cage, acting a fool because he was trying to act as a diversion mm. in one scene, and he was trying to like he he was like like he was like uh, sitting on a, a railing of the stairs, and he was trying to talk to one of the British guards and mocking his accent. It's just it's just such a cagey scene. See. That one had to be praised by critics. I never looked up what critics were saying about that one, but I also grew up with that. Like, I was a kid when that one came out, and I saw it as a kid. Uh, 46%. Uh, I remember it being a little bit more family-friendly and everything like that, so I could understand that it's got a more simplified plot and stuff, and that's probably where they knocked it. Yeah, like, I, I remember liking it when I first watched it, and my mother, she's always been, you know, she's always loved history, so we watched that film together when she bought it on uh, DVD. So, yeah, I, I remember liking it when I watched it. It, it is a family-friendly film, and, you know, for Cage being Cage, it's... It, it, he's actually, he actually takes that film seriously. It's with that one is a really good example of Cage taking a role seriously. It's with number two where he kind of goes off the dome a little bit. Like with the scene I told you where he was distracting the British uh, guard. That, that yeah. was like, oh, God, this is Cage being Cage. 
He's he's starting to seep out. He he, he couldn't keep him controlled. <laughs> you, you're you're filming for a couple of weeks with Cage. You're eventually gonna get Nick Cage, whether you want it or not. Yeah, yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, oh man, how can we not, dude? This is a film you watch just because of how bad it is, but you still you still gotta salute Cage. Like, well, at least you tried to make it better. The Wicker Man. Oh man, the bees that. <laughs> The bees. I'm allergic to bees. Hold on. Let me go to this island where they do a bunch of like bee harvesting and everything. And Come on, man. It, and then, it, 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 then Remember when he was a bear and he punched the woman in the face? Oh, man. That, that is. Was, that was an epic scene, dog. It, the best part is the camera shows him running in one direction right. and then pans to another camera where it, it's facing him running toward the camera. And you're just like, okay, so Nick Cage is running in a bear suit. And then he just punches this woman and just continues running. And it's just right. like. I I don't think that was supposed to be funny at all. It wasn't. And it, it was it was more shockingly funny than actual like haha joke funny. Like how did that actually ha- hold on, rewind. How'd it burn? How'd it burn? <laughs> it was so Oh man. Yeah, because even that movie Okay, let let's actually go through this movie because this one Definitely. is one that it, it, there's so much wrong with it, but Nick Cage actually makes it watchable. And dude, it, this is again outrageousness in a serious concept. Yeah, like this movie did not call for the outrageousness, but the reason people watch it so many times is because Cage is Cage. Yeah, because the movie starts off with what I can only describe as probably one of the most badass Cage moments, where he's just on a motorcycle and he just grabs the doll like one arm off the street on the motorcycle just speeding by it and it's like that is the weirdest kind of like synopsis to give a scene but it actually works and it's actually a pretty cool scene Mm -hmm. as he's speeding up to catch up to the car that the girl threw the doll out of and then it just goes into pure madness from there with the car getting hit by a truck while he's getting the doll that the girl threw out the window, and then the car's on fire, and the girl's just staring at him in the car as she's burnt. Like, uh, I forgot that one came out when it was like the cool thing to have like a little girl be very creepy in a movie. Hmm. I don't quite remember the beginning that much. Oh, I remember that beginning because I've probably seen that part at least a couple times just because when it pops them on tv i'll always at least watch to that part and then you know i'll switch to something else because of time and everything like that like the amount of times that i've seen that pop up while i'm in like a hotel room or something like that and that's what's popping up on like fx or whatever for their campy movie or sci-fi or something like that and I'll always watch that beginning scene that I'm like, no, I can't sit through this movie here the right only, now. The only scene in that film that works and it doesn't even have cage in it is like the ending scene where the girls, I guess they're in like modern society and they're speaking to like these two hot guys and like Oh, uh, James Franco? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. is it Dave? Yeah, James, James Franco was one of them. Okay. Um and uh and in uh as, as the girl is talking to him and smiling at him, you can hear like, you know, Nicolas Cage like screaming like ah and oh then the yeah! Film cuts off. I'm like, okay, that was a fitting closing scene, but we need to have that same energy the whole film. Yeah, <laughs> like you can't just you can't just end on a creepy note like that and not have that be carried out the whole film. That that was a good ending to it because it was kind of going, oh, this is something that they regularly do. It wasn't like a one off with yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Nick Cage's character. I couldn't tell you what his character's name is in any movie he's been in. I just know Nick Cage. He's that kind of actor where no Caster matter what. Troy. I will always remember Caster Troy from Face Off. Is it Caster Troy? I don't even know if that's right. I can't confirm or deny that one. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Uh, yup, Caster Troy. That is his name. I'll never forget that. And Rick Santoro from Snake Eyes. <laughs> Snake Eyes is a good movie. Snake Eyes was a good one. For a De Palma film, I mean, it's very cagey, but it's done It's done it's well. It's done tastefully. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. tastefully done cage. It's not all-out cage and it's not very serious cage it's a little bit he's, here a, little, he's a little all out in some scenes but you know it, but it's scattered throughout the movie it's not all on and all off it's just it's like flipping a switch on and off throughout the entire movie great long shots too and in, in, in snake eyes 
Um, I never saw the film with him and Scorsese bringing out the dead. I've always wanted to watch that. I didn't know that he did a movie with Scorsese. Yeah, that was low key. That was in uh, 1999. Oh, you know what's a great movie? Uh, The Family Man. Oh, yeah. That's that. That's when did that one come out? That one's a 2000. Is that 2000? I swear that was in the 90s. Yeah, Brett, Brett Ratner directed that one. That's a great, you know, that's a great family cage. Yeah, you know that's 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 a, national treasure kind of cage. It is, it is. You got T. Leone, uh, Don Cheadle. You know, it's 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 a pretty solid film. The Family Man. I feel like that's that's him at his warmest. Um, oh, and this is this is this is over the top cage, but it fits the film. Matchstick Men. Matchstick Men. With Sam Rockwell and and uh. Oh yes. Well, he's the con man. I remember that one. Really, Scott made that. That one. That's a solid movie. Yeah, yeah, because it was made by the guy that made Aliens, and it was like, okay, this is an interesting kind of. And um, his his main character has OCD, so it calls for oh, caginess. Yeah. yeah, I you I vaguely, vaguely remember, remember that one, uh, mostly because it was a Ridley Scott movie with Nick Cage, mm-hmm. and it was kind of that thing where you like heard it and go, okay, so so the guy that made Aliens. Grab Nick Cage made a movie. Well, really, this guy has always done like you know, like 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 things that venture off from Alien. I feel like people don't really. Well, he know does that. a lot of sci-fi stuff, and Nick Cage isn't exactly somebody that I see doing sci-fi movies. He he does a lot of sci-fi stuff, but that's not like his main thing. Yeah, thing. it's like, not what you think of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like sci-fi is what we know him for, Alien, Blade Runner. But when you got you know films like American Gangster. Matchstick Men, uh, Body of Lies with Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe is kind of a forgettable movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, really, Scott, he, he's always tried to break out of that sci-fi mode, but that's what people know him for. Yeah, well, he always tries to break out of it, and then he goes right back in because that's what everybody wants from him. Or like, and he enjoys doing it. Yeah, and then everybody loved Gladiator, so then he made Kingdom of Heaven, but people panned that. But then he said, no, 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 here's the extended cut you were supposed to see. Oh, yeah, it's a good movie now. You know. I forgot about that, where he just completely re-released it as like a, almost a completely different movie. He had to, though. Oh, like, yeah. From what I heard, he had to, because people were like, man, this is this is bullshit. I want to say I've only seen the extended cut of that one. I never saw the original. Oh, wow. You consider yourself lucky. Um, <laughs> now, me on the outside, I, I haven't seen it, but I know the extended cut is better, because from what I've heard, so I got to check it out. It's It's not the best movie, but it's passable. And I heard the only reason that I even watched it is people, it was one of those like terrible movies everybody needs to kind of see. And then I watched it. And I was like, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. And then I found out later, oh, you watched a different cut of it. And I never went back and watched the cut that I was supposed to watch. Oh, so even the extended cut is just all right. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's not great. To me, it wasn't great. See, that's it was just passable. But See, I think the people that saw the original were like, oh, this is a so much better movie. But okay. the bar was already so low. <laughs> See, see, and that's why that's why when I ask people about Batman versus Superman, the extended cut, they always say to me, oh, it's just less bad. I'm like, oh, so is it a good movie? Because I didn't like Batman versus Superman. Well, I don't want to go too far off topic, but he, but he was like, it's just less bad. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> That's a thing with a lot of like extended cuts is, you know, is it actually better or is it just kind of upping the ante a little bit? Like Batman versus Superman as the example, I watched the extended cut. I could maybe pick out like two scenes that were added into the movie from the original and mm. I didn't feel like either of them really added too much to it, which is a testament to the other scenes that were added back in because they blended right into the movie where I didn't even notice that they were once removed scenes to mm-hmm. begin with. But th- there were two that I remember that just kind of you watch it and go, I can see why that was cut. Is the scene almost over now so we can get back to the movie that I remember? <laughs> right, right, right. Like, there was one where it was Henry Cavill in a bathtub scene and everything, and it's just, it, it got extended. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Um, and it's just, it's so dumb because the conversation in it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. 
and it, it should have stayed cut down as it was in the theatrical version. I agree. Extended cuts are something to be talked about. I think we're going to keep that for a future episode. Oh, we definitely have to. We definitely should. Uh, hey, man, I barely remember this movie because I just thought it was just bad. Some people still watch it. Ghost Rider? Ghost Rider is... I, I love that movie. Oh, wow. But in a different way than most people like. Like, I... <laughs> When I was growing up, Ghost Rider was one of the comic books that uh, I wasn't allowed to read. So, of mm. course, I read a lot of them. Of course, of course. <laughs> so, when they came out with the Ghost Rider movie, uh, I was pumped for it. Like, it, this was before I really even knew who Nick Cage was. They were just basically going, yeah, we're getting a Ghost Rider movie. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm 100% for that. You didn't know the myth of Nick Cage before you saw Ghost Rider? I guess I didn't realize it was Nick Cage as Ghost Rider. I just kept hearing Ghost Rider, and I just oh, kept getting pumped okay. for it. And then it was like during that time where I didn't want to watch movie trailers because I hated the concept of like every 90s movie trailer always gave you the ending in the trailer. And we're starting to get to that point again. I hated that, man. And so it was during that time where I wasn't watching movie trailers. So I was just hearing Ghost Rider everywhere. And I go, no, 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 don't talk to me about it. I'm, gonna, I'm excited for this one. Mm-hmm. I, as a kid, I grew up with Ghost Rider. I wanted to see this amazing movie. And then that's the movie I got. So I got went in expecting a serious Ghost Rider. And I walked out with that Ghost Rider. And I was like, that wasn't what I expected at all. That was a terrible movie. Dude, God damn it. No action. I saw that in theaters, man. And I was like, where's the action? Like, where's the action? Yeah. Uh, who was the other Ghost Rider that was in Ghost Rider 2? Um, who played the crap? I'm about to look it up right now. Yeah. Uh, who played the other one? Uh, so was Idris, was Idris Elba the other one? Or was it Christopher no. Lambert? Or No. These are the guys that were in the second one. So, like, uh, what, 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 what was it like? Uh, um, the second movie involved oh, Johnny Whitworth, and the character was Ray Kerrigan or Blackout. That was that. That was the character's name. Okay, because that one I remember somehow was even worse than the first. Yeah, but uh, which is a rare occurrence to have a terrible movie and somehow outdo that. Made by the same directing team that did Crank, which are oh, great, yeah. b- great bad movies. But yeah, with Ghost Rider, I I can sit down and watch that one. I know it's a horrible movie, and it's because my expectations for it were shot so out of whack from what we actually got for that one that it, it's it's got a special place in my heart. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, like not necessarily. I love it because it's a good movie, but man, I love how terrible it ended up being because it was not what I expected at all. It just completely subverted all expectations Dude. in the craziest way I never thought possible. Let me tell you something. You want to subvert, you, you want to hypnotize yourself into actually thinking you saw a good movie. Uh, sit with me on the day I saw The Last Airbender in theaters. Like, you know. You thought that was a good movie? Well, no. It, it, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. But listen, in the moment, I was so geeked for this. You know, it, it was because I was actively watching the cartoon. And mm-hmm. I hadn't finished it by the time it came out, but I I, I had known the lore of Avatar. So uh, I was so excited to see it. I'm like, M. Night Shyamalan has failed a few times, but this might be the comeback, you know, because I was a signed Sixth Sense Village fan mm-hmm. and Unbreakable. So we went to go see it. And, you know, the whole time I'm, I'm waiting for something big to happen. So even though I'm seeing a whole lot of things, Aang is so serious. He's not joyful or cheery at all horrible casting i'm like okay something's gonna happen there's, there's got to be some high point here and then the whole wave thing happens and then he lets it down in a peaceful way not wanting to start war so in the end i just hypnotized myself like it was like episode one of star wars like wait a minute no no that there was something good there no i just it, it, was, it had to be no no i'll watch it 15 more times and i'll find the good in there it's got to be hidden in right. there somewhere but you know, as as we, as we were on the ride going home, I was like, "Yeah, that nah, that was a piece of shit. That that was that was a piece of shit." I I remember because the show was huge at the time. It was, and I want to say they had just finished book four when the movie came out. I think there's three books. Um, or it was three books for that. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I, I'm thinking the there was no book for air. It was water, earth, and then fire. 
water, earth, and air, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, no, water, earth, and fire. Yeah, maybe. Because there was no, like, air trainer for him. And each one was focused on him learning that aspect of uh, bending. So okay, the first yeah, season yeah. was water bending, second season was earth bending, and third season was fire bending. Because he I went to, so. like, the fire bending school and everything. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. But and I want to say that third one was, like, it, it hadn't come out yet or it was just finishing up or something when the movie came I believe, out? I believe it was on its way to coming out. I'm not sure. But as far as you going in to see Ghost Rider and me seeing Last Airbender, I'll never watch Last Airbender again. But I had that same thing, like, yo, no, don't one tell me. Is yeah. M. Night Shyamalan's going to kill this. It's his comeback movie. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah, it is. Well, then there's those movies that you see because you know it's going to be bad. Like it's oh, yeah. your fa- For me, that one that I fully regret 100% was Dragon Ball Evolution. Why did you go see that? I knew Why? it would be bad. Come on, man. But I still had to because it was Dragon Ball, and I, no, I you still love it. didn't. Yeah. You didn't. Looking back, I, I shouldn't have. But at the very least, that movie did bring Dragon Ball Z back. Listen, with a fan, with a film like Mandy, I knew what to expect with the pairing of Panos Cosmatos and Nicolas Cage because I love Beyond the Black Rainbow, and I know his kind of directing style, and I know Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, I went in expecting a great, campy, violent B movie, an exploitation movie, and I got what I wanted out of it. And, I would say that it's higher than a B movie. I really it's, enjoyed it's, that. It's one. very well done. It's yeah. very well done, and um, if you see the director's previous film, you see that you know that that's really his style. Uh, I got what I wanted out of Mandy, and I wasn't disappointed. It, it definitely, it. So that was one of the f- movies that I didn't hear anything about until I was like at the theater for it because I saw a screening for that one. Okay. So that was one where I got invited to a screening for it, and. This was one of the cool things I love about movie screenings is I get invited to screenings for movies that I've never heard of, plug. and it, uh, it it I go to them and then I'm like, okay, that was. Uh, I think there's only one time that I regretted going to a movie, and that was uh, the Green Room, which ended up being like this very gory thriller movie, and I was not ready for that at all. Like worse than movie, Saw, though. I wasn't ready for it. I, I saw Green Room and I heard psychological thriller and I was like, oh okay, that's something. And then all psychological is pretty fast paced. Yeah, like, it's yeah. not psychological at all. So it, that one I think is the only movie that I regret not having done research into it beforehand for like jumping into a theater and just seeing a movie because that one I was not ready for it. It would kind of be like jumping into Midsummer without seeing a single like thing about it and just going, what the hell is this movie? I love Midsummer. Um, I hear what you're saying yeah uh i'm sorry man i'm sorry you went through that this green green room is brutal brutal. that is a if you cannot stand the sight of blood that movie will literally kill you (laughs) oh dude just it's it's just and i don't want to venture too far into that i want to i want to stay on cage but green room has some moments to it man yeah um, but with Mandy, it was one of those movies I saw without any like precursor of information about it. Literally, I saw the trailer. I didn't even recognize Nick Cage on the trailer on first or from the poster at first glance, mm-hmm. and I just kind of went to it because I got like the little letterbox poster in an email going, "Mandy, it's coming to this theater. Come see it on this day, uh, early screening." And I was like, "Done. Tickets bought." Mm. And that—that uh, that was everything I knew about the movie was based on the, the poster. And I went into it, and I was like, "This, this is a great movie. This mm. better be a movie that people are talking about in the future." And it got a little bit of buzz, and I was happy about that. You know, one thing I loved, you know, and, and you know, we're in the Detroit Foundation Hotel right now, lovely place. And you know, I know in Royal Oak, um, the film had gained so much popularity that Royal Oak has a Midnight Madness series where they bring classic movies. Oh, at the Main uh, Arts Theater. Yeah, the Main Arts Theater, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they brought Mandy back for a midnight screening, and, you know, it was packed. Oh, yeah, most of those Midnight Madness screenings are packed. There's yeah. been a couple that I wanted to go to, and they sold out before I could even get tickets. Yeah, the, the thing with Mandy, though, um, when, we, when we saw that at midnight, well, I think I was by myself. When I saw that at midnight, it's because a lot of people didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. Like, most of us have saw it in the comfort of our own home, and I'm like... This epic thing needs to be seen on screen. 
Oh yeah, that's yeah. one that I 100% agree with. That yeah. it, that's a movie that should be seen in a theater with other people. Like mm. it's very rare that you run into those movies that you need to see it with other people. That it's not like a cult classic like Rocky Picture Horror Show or The Room or something like that mm-hmm. where it's the theater that makes the experience. It, that's a good movie, but seeing it in a theater with people, it's like seeing a Marvel movie on day one. It, it's a whole different crowd that's in there than seeing it uh, at home alone and everything oh, like that. Oh, definitely, definitely, man. Like, um, like we, we, with the whole Netflix effect. I love Netflix. Netflix is great. But I need to see the Irishman and Roma on screen. Like, I need to see those on screen. That's one movie that I'm kind of glad I didn't go to a theater for, because it's just a long movie. It doesn't feel long. Scorsese is long, though. Goodfellas, Casino. Oh, yeah. You know? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is long. There's a lot of long movies, but sitting in a theater, depending on the theater, if you go to, like, the Dolby or go to one with, like, the reclining, like, nice comforter kind of seats and everything, it's fine for three hours. But most theaters don't have good seats, and even those recliners are starting to get stale. And it, it, I, I don't you know like what, movie theaters when it comes to a movie over two hours, just because of the seats, mostly. You, you might be waiting a while for that Adobe Netflix release, because Netflix and AMC have a beef. You, oh, yeah. You're going to be waiting a while for that. Yeah, it, I already watched that one in my home theater room, so I'm good. <laughs> okay, okay. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, you know what? Another great Cage performance that kind of surprised everybody. Uh, the team up of him and Werner Herzog for Bad Lieutenant. Oh, yeah. Port of Call, New Orleans. Kind of like an official, unofficial sequel to the uh, Harvey Keitel movie. I I remember that one. I can't... <sighs> he, it's, he It's a pretty forgettable one, but it wasn't bad. I don't remember anything... N- bad about it but i don't really remember anything good about it either he's a he was basically a ruthless uh you know uh drug using uh detective bad lieutenant it's in the title yeah um it's actually a pretty solid film i i i liked it you know uh werner herzog is an interesting director and uh, he makes the film an interesting way because you know it's there's a scene where nicholas case shoots a guy and I don't know mm-hmm. if it's Exhibit or somebody that says, hey, man, you know, why'd you shoot him again? He was already dead. His soul is still dancing. And then the camera turns and the guy is literally like breakdancing. Like his soul is breakdancing above his body or something like that. Like it's, it's a strange, great I, movie. I remember that. But at the same time, I don't remember walking out of that one going, oh, that was a good movie or a bad movie. I just kind of remember going, yeah, that was a movie, I guess. I don't remember really having a strong opinion on it. It was just kind of there, and that was it. I feel like performance-wise, Nicolas Cage, that's, that's one of his best performances. Um, another great... Uh, Bad Lieutenant? Yeah. To okay. me... I, I might have to go back and rewatch that one, because when I originally saw it, it didn't impress me at all, but it didn't stick out in like a bad way either. It just kind of passed by. i tell you one thing. i got to watch Adaptation, because people stand by that movie. I haven't seen that one. Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones. Uh, they made it, you know, that's another... What year was that one? 2002. Okay. I don't remember Gone in 60 Seconds that much, do you? It's another one that I think I only seen it on TV. I don't even think I, like, that's a ever... a TBS film. Yeah. I don't think I ever, like, actually watched it on, like, a DVD or anything like that. It's just kind of in passing I saw it on TV. Yeah, one of those popular Jerry Brockheimer films, you know, from that, uh, that 2000 era. Yeah. I never had the desire to watch that movie. I feel like if I was young and I watched it, I'd be like, okay, I got that off my list. But nowadays, nah. But I'll tell you one thing, man. Uh, Nicolas Cage as Elvis is a great performance. Uh, you seen Wild at Heart by David Lynch? Please tell me you've seen this movie, man. Him, him and Laura Dern, 1990. I feel like I would remember Nick Cage playing Elvis, and I well, don't. He, he wasn't necessarily Elvis, but he had like an Elvis demeanor to him. You know, like he had like he had like an Elvis swag. You what know? was the plot of that one? So uh, Nicholas Cage and Laura Dern, uh, they go on the run. Uh, Laura Dern's mother is kind of like a, and played by Laura Dern's real mother, Diane Ladd. Uh, you know, she 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 kind of doesn't like Nicholas Cage's character, 
And it's just it's it's shot in the in the David Lynch '90s way. So it's you know okay. it's over the top, crazy, kind of violent. Um, William Defoe plays a terrifying character in the movie. It's it's just uh, a young couple that goes on the run. Hmm. Yeah, man, Wild at Heart is a crazy one, man. That's that's that film is wild. I'm gonna have to watch it because I don't. It's a remember gem. that one. It's definitely a gem. What year did it come out? Ninety. Uh, nineteen ninety. Okay. Uh, you seen uh, Raising Arizona? I know you saw this. That one, yeah. Coen Brothers. Yeah, I feel like that's a great comedy where Cage is right where he should be. Oh, yeah. We, the Coen Brothers know exactly what they're doing with every casting. I don't think I've seen a single one of their movies where somebody was miscast. Tom Hanks and the Lady Killers was a little off to me. That was a little off. I mean, I it, he did it. He did his job, but it was a little off. He to wasn't me. bad at it. No, he wasn't uh, bad. It was just like, huh? Him? Hmm. I guess it's not one of those castings I would have done, but I think it worked still. Yeah. Like I'll stand by that. I think the Coen Brothers, when it comes to their movies, they don't really miscast people. They might get people into roles that you wouldn't originally think them for. Right. But they make it work. I guess that's where I put Tom Hanks. I I wouldn't thank him for the Lady Killers, but he it worked for what what he did right but raising arizona man this is just such a great movie well, it's it's a classic coen brothers movie it is it's one that it, i'm trying to think of like what other big ones they have that uh are like that kind of classic with it's a notch below uh fargo and um uh not not blood okay blood simple and fargo i say it's a notch below those of that era you know yeah and it's it's right it's toe to toe with Miller's Crossing as far as Corn Brothers go. But dude, man, how could you not love this movie? You got a baby, oh, was, a motorcycle, action comedy. It's just a great movie. It is, and it's one that Nick Cage belongs in. It's one of those movies that every once in a while you would go back and kind of like look at a movie and go, "Why didn't they cast this person?" If Nick Cage wasn't cast in that movie, that would have been one of those movies that you go. Nick Cage should have been in that role. Yeah, I don't think you can sell that movie without Nick Cage. It Just would be kind of like trying to do uh, what was uh, the big uh, Jim Carrey where he was the lawyer. Um, liar, liar. Liar, liar. It's like trying to do that movie without Jim Carrey. It just wouldn't work as well. Or like when you did uh, Return of the Mask or Son of the Mask with Jamie Kennedy. And I'm like, dude, yeah. you ain't no Jim Carrey, man. Get out of this film. I forgot that they did Jamie exactly. Kennedy. Exactly. Oh. You forgot. You forgot. Yeah, hey, yeah I, that I was agree. at Pinnacle when he had the Jamie Kennedy experience on TV and stuff. That was a low-key punk, wasn't it? Pretty much, yeah. 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 I feel like his 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 best and his simultaneously his best and worst movie is Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> that has a special part oh, of my is, heart. Yeah, That's, that one's <laughs> oh. do a whole episode on Malibu's Most Wanted. Oh, that's that's an easy two-hour episode right there. Just oh, picking dude. that. Don't that's, be hating. That's one where we had to have like a TV in the room, and we're just going through it, watching it, and just commentating on it, because that's uh, one of those perfect movies. A live commentary on Malibu's Most Wanted sounds genius. It, it, it's got to happen. We got to bring our friends in for that one. That, oh, that's, that has to happen. That's going to be a group one for sure. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Raising Arizona and... Um, Man, I think we've gone through most of it. What else, what else we got here? Uh, so we did color. Uh, well, we can do the we can do the side roles. Uh, how about um, Spider Man Noir into the Spider Verse? That's right. I remember when he popped up on the uh, before they announced what he was doing. Right. They right, announced right. that he was in it. My first thought was, hold on. Because they announced him the same time they announced like John Mulaney was going to be in it, right. and I was like, "Hold, what kind of movie is this going to be that we got?" You got Nick Ghost Cage Rider and... flashbacks, didn't you? You like? Oh, I, no. I kind of did oh, a no. little bit. <laughs> I, I kind of did, but I kept looking at the rest of the cast and going, "Okay, so this is." But then you get to Nick Cage and John Mulaney announced in the same day, and it's like, "Hold on, this is not something's off here." Right. I don't right, know right. what, but something doesn't feel right about this. I, I put my faith in uh, who was who were the writers directors of that one. Uh, I know they did Twenty One Jump Street. I think it was yeah, Chris, 20... Chris Lord and Phil Miller or something. Yeah, Phil and Lord. That's who did it. Phil and Lord. There you go. Yeah, I want to say that it was written by one of them and then directed by both. Okay. And yeah, because they did the Lego Movie as well, and they they had a lot of great movies. Their track record is pretty perfect. 
I can't think of a bad movie by them. Yeah, Phil Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman wrote that film, and I think they I think they were, were about to do Solo for Star Wars, but then you know we saw how that kind of fell apart. Well, they were like the third directors to try and join into that movie, and then they dropped out. I think they were the first, and then Ron Howard took over, right? No, there was somebody before them. Oh, then okay. it was the film lord, and then it was. I want to say there was somebody between them and Ron Howard still, People too. People out there are listening to this like, you idiots, it was this guy. <laughs> yeah. that That's my favorite part of podcasting is I know somebody is listening going, how do you not know who that was? Wait, they had nothing to do with Solo. Oh, yeah, yes, they did. My bad. Yeah, They, they, they did. were originally on the directing team for it, but they, right, right. I think they were only, if they even made it on set, they were only on set for a couple days. Uh, one of my favorite Nick Cage lines in, in the Spider-Verse, I love you all, as he's about to go back to his oh, world. Yeah. Like, it's like, I love you all. <laughs> I'm taking this weird cube thing with me. <laughs> like the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> I always, because he sees everything in black and white, and it's just, oh, Wait. I love everything about that movie. It's a dope movie, man. It's a very it, dope movie. It's probably one of my favorite Spider-Man movies. Yeah, we gotta do a Spider-Man episode. Uh, you and I oh. talked about this. Yeah, that that's on the list. Well, we'll definitely have to deep dive into that one too. It's one of my favorite Spider-Man movies too, and I was pleasantly surprised because I'm like an animated Spider-Man. I don't know, and I saw it, and I was like, "This is well done." Like, I, I love the storytelling aspect of it. As soon as I saw the art style for that one, where it was kind of like the comic booky kind of like fast, it reminded me of the motion comics that were a thing for a little bit yeah. where it was kind of like the moving visual comic books. Right. And then they announced the cast for it and they announced that it was going to be based on uh, miles Morales. And I was like, okay, I can 100% get behind this. Cause miles Morales is probably one of my favorite, like Spider-Man stories of his like origin. Mm-hmm. Cause his origin is one of the better of like all the spider men origins. Okay. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah. I think as far as motion comics go, Watchmen had one of the best ones. Oh, the Watchmen motion comic was perfect. It really was. That that movie, when it came out, too, I, I still stand by it. I enjoyed it. I know that that yeah. one gets a lot of hate and everything, but I think, I think it's probably Zack Snyder's best. It, it, well, I think Dawn of the Dead is his best, but Zack Snyder did what he was supposed to do. He, he was very faithful to the novel, and a lot of people kind of got on him for that because it's like, you know this doesn't translate to film. It's like, well, this is for us. This isn't for every audience, you know? Yeah. This is for the fans. So I think Zack, Zack Snyder did his thing with Watchmen. Yeah, there uh, were a couple choices he made with it that I didn't agree with that he changed up that I think would have been better. I wanted my squid, man. I wanted my squid. Oh, yeah. Damon Lindelof, the show was better, but, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. It's kind of like... Uh, it where we didn't get the giant space turtle. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> <laughs> and we're better off for that. We're better off uh, leaving off that, that leaving out that love scene too between okay. the kids. Yeah. We're better off without that one. Uh, all right. So, um, have you seen the Weatherman? The Weatherman. I want to say yes. Yes, yeah, Gore Verbinski film. That's actually a great film about like identity. Like I feel like that's that's a film that the critics kind of overlooked a little bit, but it's kind of a cult classic because of Nicolas Cage's performance and the theme of the movie. You know what I mean? He he plays a weatherman, but to everybody else, that's all he is. Like they don't know like his real life. That was like a mid '80s movie, right? Uh, no, two thousands. That was two thousands. Yeah. He's on a verge, I might not have seen that one then. On the verge of a divorce, his daughter's messing up, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just like that's a that's a that's a kind of a quietly powerful film. Michael Caine plays his father. I like The Weatherman. Okay, I definitely didn't see it because I can't remember anything with Michael Caine and Nick Cage in the same movie. <laughs> it happened. It happened. Um let's, let's All right, before we uh cap this episode off, let's go down to terrible films right quick, man. Okay, so Season of the Witch. You remember that one? I wish I could, didn't. <laughs> we can start there. <laughs> oh, man, dude. Uh, I never saw this film, but I heard that this is with him and Ron Perlman, and it looks like Ron Perlman is on the verge of laughing in every scene he's in when he's delivering a line. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's bad. 
It's it's nobody took that movie seriously, and every scene seems like it should have been an outtake. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm glad I never saw that one. Yeah, that one. It's not even like entertaining bad either. Like there's movies that are entertaining bad, like the Face room. Off, The Room. Yeah, that wasn't entertaining bad. It was just bad. You just regretted sitting through it afterwards. Left Behind. Um, I'm familiar with that story because I, I think I saw like two of the first uh, Kurt Cameron films. It's a it's a faith based movie. Um, I missed that one. The the Left Behind remake with Nicolas Cage. I watched the first ten minutes and I was like, "Yep, not for me." <laughs> I think with certain Cage films, you watch the first ten minutes and depending on his performance, the performances of other actors. And the directing, you say, okay. Also, the tone of the movie. Yeah. If his performance is in a completely different tone than the rest of the movie, you can already tell it's it's probably not going to be that good, or it's going to be fantastic. Right. Like there's I, no middle ground. There's different elements to, to the to, to the Nicolas Cage criteria here. There's tone, there's performance, performance with tone, directing, and if other actors are game. Yes. If it looks like other actors are kind of looking at you like, hey, man, why are you overacting your lines? Like then it looks like okay, this isn't going to be a good cage film because they're not game. John Travolta was game. Oh, John Travolta was a total over actor in himself. So yeah, John Travolta, I, th- I think that's a movie we got to end on. Is talking about that because that movie is one hundred percent pinnacle cage mm-hmm. because it's cage pretending to be somebody else, pretending to be Nicolas Cage. <laughs> And it's Travolta pretending to be Cage, like pretending to be someone else. It, it's yeah. It's then it's John Travolta pretending to be Nicolas Cage as John Travolta. It's the movie is. Oh, I love that movie so much. It is. We should we we can end on Face Off, man. So let, let's 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 look at the basics here. This is Cage and his element with another actor, as you say, is known to overact. But I don't, I don't think Travolta overacts. Not in my opinion. Uh, but he. He has moments Look of it. Look back at his history. There's a lot. I don't think Pulp Fiction is overacting. No, Pulp Fiction is just a perfect movie. There's nothing wrong with that movie. Mm-hmm. That's another conversation. Oh, but. I'll fight on that one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, okay. So, so all right, let's look at Face Off. So what, 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 what do you got to say about this one? Why end on it? Uh, it is... If you're ever like going to explain to somebody who Nick Cage is, right. I think Face Off is the perfect movie to kind of like give them and go, this is Nick Cage. Because you see Nick Cage being <laughs> Nick Cage. Then you see Nick Cage pretending to be somebody else. And it's got these like nice somber scenes and everything like that. And then you have uh, Nick Cage pretending to be somebody that's pretending to be Nick Cage, where it just goes off the wall and it's Nick Cage is overacting times 10 Mm. in some of those scenes. Like the scene where he's in the prison and it's the the fight breaks out and everything and he has the, what are they, the steel shoes or something like that? Oh, dude, we want a... Trash all that. The scene where he looks in the mirror and gives one of the most widest, creepiest smiles of all time. Oh, yeah. That gave meme history one of its top memes. And then Gina Gershon just knocks him out. Yeah. Oh, that was. Well, also, that movie had that, like, whole uh, scene where they're both, like, they're on opposite sides of a mirror, but the oh, mirror is both. I love that scene. It, they're both pointing at each other, and they see the person they want to kill because it, they have each other's faces at right, that time. Right, right. And that scene in that movie, I love that scene. And it's like, this scene shouldn't be in this movie. This is a scene that should be in another movie. I love that. That but whole that's John concept. Woo, though. That's John Woo. He yeah. knows how to direct great scenes like that. You know right. what I mean? Like, when they're about to start... Shooting in the chapel, doves are flying, showing, showing oh, Nicholas right. Cage, Cage walking in slow There's motion. Doves in the church, right, dude? Like this is. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was one of the scenes with the doves. Is just him walking through the church. I think the meeting of the minds between Nicholas Cage and John Travolta is like when Venom goes to war with Carnage. Yeah, it's like it's like oh, you think you can overact? I can overact. No, you think you can overact? I can overact. And they're both just going toe to toe. Oh, you think you're the crazy one? Right, right. That's the perfect movie. It's a perfect movie for what it's made. For how oh, it's yeah. made. Oh yeah, 
And even John Travolta, I would say that that's probably one of my favorite John Travolta movies as well, in terms of just entertainment, not like Pulp Fiction, of course, is like top tier list with him, but is in terms of like entertaining John Travolta movies, Face Off is up there. Yeah, okay, I give you that. I feel like and, uh, that's in that same era where he did those kind of campy action movies. Like, again, Broken Arrow. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that with him and Christian Slater. Uh, also, John Woo. That's also a John Woo film. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was uh, perfect for him at that time. I, I agree. Entertaining John Travolta film. I can honestly say I wasn't a big fan of Christian Slater until he appeared in Mr. Robot. Oh, man. Why would you say that? Why would you say that? Christian Slater is amazing. True romance. He, he is good. Come on, man. But I can say I never like went looking for a movie with him before until like his performance in Mr. Robot. And I was like, okay, there, there's something that I'm missing about this guy. That's one of them great actors that Hollywood just gave him a shit deal, like Brandon Fraser. We know Brandon oh, yeah. Fraser is a great actor, but Hollywood never gave him the right roles. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I would it's almost s- like the Leo DiCaprio meme of when is he going to get his Oscar? Right, right, exactly. You know, uh, so I think Christian Slater fits in that perspective of like great actor, but hasn't always got the right roles. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying he's a bad actor by any right. means. It's just he never hit my radar until Mr. Robot. And I was like, okay, there's something I'm missing about this guy. Either this is like the best performance he's had, or I've just not paid attention to his other movies. I think you haven't paid attention, man. I, it, it ended up being that later yeah. on, but yeah, it was uh, until Mr. Robot, I really didn't have anything you know to say about Christian Slater other than, yeah, he's in some movies. Dude, another unsung hero is Steven Dorff from the first Blade. Oh, yeah. He's he's a good one. He was in the, uh, the last True Detective season, and he killed it. Again, another unsung hero. But um, all right, so we've gone through all the good and bad and the the bad bad of of Cage and what what's what's our logical conclusion here? Uh, Nick Cage is a good actor. Uh, he's definitely an over actor in most of the stuff he does, but he can get super serious and do some amazing roles like Leaving Las Vegas, Mandy, and then you have movies where you can watch it with your family, like National Treasure. Mm-hmm. He he's got range. He definitely has range. But he just... He doesn't have limited range in some where he may need it. Right. Uh, people always pen him as the Nick Cage type. Mm-hmm. Like, he is definitely a type when it comes to, like, casting. Kind of like uh, Jim Carrey was a type where it was like, we just need a Jim Carrey for this movie. Mm-hmm. We need uh, Will Ferrell for this movie. You know, the movies are written around that person being what they're known for. And then Nick Cage definitely is a type of person when it comes to those kind of movies, in my opinion, at least. That's for a lot of the movies that he's in, the role was written for him. And you can tell. I think Nick Cage, like, um, and this is kind of like, like, like self-imposed as well, but I feel like he's always been a great actor in bad movies. Yeah, he definitely, I'm trying to remember, I want to say it was College Humor that did a skit based on... Uh, you know, this is uh, Nick Cage's uh, representative or agent and just going, okay, so I got this movie where I'll take it. I haven't even described the movie yet. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> You're going to play a butt that can't fart. I'm already in. <laughs> so they want to do a sequel for that movie. I am so on for it. <laughs> You're hey. now playing a guy that literally drowns puppies and, oh, I'm so in. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, like man. It, <laughs> Some actors look at it like this thing is a nine to five. It's really a job to him. Like, oh yeah, it's, it's a job, and and I, you know, you got to applaud that. Some actors are like that, like Clifton Powell. You know, it's a job to him. But I feel like he. Some films, I'm like, dude, you didn't have to do this. Yeah, you didn't have to do Bangkok Dangerous. I, I highly recommend checking out the College Humor skit on uh, Nick Cage's agent. It's just it. it it perfectly summarizes everything wrong with Nick Cage's movies. It, he's a good actor. He just has terrible choices when it comes to the movies he's going to be in. And then he hits some right out of the park. So do you think that, that so that's why Hollywood kind of looks at him like, like kind of a pariah? Because he, he'll just take anything? I mean, 
I think mostly people know or Hollywood knows that Nick Cage on a poster is going to sell a movie. Okay. And people are going to go see a Nick Cage movie because Nick Cage is a meme at this point. Mm. So it, you know exactly what you're getting when you walk into a Nick Cage movie. And then you have movies where you're expecting a Nick Cage movie like Mandy. <laughs> Right. And you do not get a Nick Cage movie, but you walk out going, that was still a good movie. That was a Nick Cage movie. I, I disagree. That was a Nick Cage movie. Some scenes, yes, but for the most part, it was pretty somber compared to normal Nick Cage. So you telling me... <laughs> I don't think Mandy is a somber movie. I mean, it can be somber, but for the most part, it's very serene, surreal, surreal and over the top, and that's Nick Cage. Okay, yeah, I, I can see that. I understand your argument. I just feel like, eh, that's a Nick Cage movie. It, it's not the Nick Cage that I'm used to in that movie. Like, when I saw that, when I saw Nick Cage appear on screen, I was expecting something completely different than what I got in the end. Because that was one of the movies I never heard anything about before seeing it. I mean, the, the, the infamous vodka scene. You telling me that's not oh, Nick Cage? Oh, yeah, that's... That's Nick Cage, That's man. Nick Cage, I didn't say it wasn't absolutely Nick Cage, but it's one of the movies that he isn't 100% Nick Cage the entire so way. So it's half Nick Cage, half not. Half, I would say it's 50-50. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Because even at the very beginning, you're kind of going, hold on, this is a different kind. And then it kind of creeps in a little bit, and then it tones down again and creeps back in. and It's not like all on the entire movie of Nick Cage. We're not looking at face-off Nick Cage throughout the entire movie of Mandy. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So it, he does have his overacting moments and everything like that, and it, it adds to the movie in that instance. It, you're not taken away from the movie with his overacting. Mm. It's kind of like leaving Las Vegas. There are a couple scenes where he kind of goes into overacting mode, but it fits into the movie and his character and everything like that. Instead of being, oh, this is Nick Cage just yelling. It It's the character that he's playing is actually, like, going through that motion. Look, man, I'll say this, man. As bad as, as some of his movies are, uh, we love Nick Cage. Oh, absolutely. We love the myth of Nick Cage, the legend of Nick Cage. Nick Cage is the man. And uh, what a great way to uh, start off our uh, new podcast with talking about a myth such as Nick. It, it, he's a living legend of cinema history. He is. He is. Does he have his own star on the Walk of Fame? He probably does. He I'd has to. I'd, I'd be surprised if he didn't. He has. Yeah, he has to have a star on in Hollywood because there's a lot of people that have stars in Hollywood that are less known than him. Mm. Okay, I believe it. Thanks <laughs> for joining our first episode of uh, uh, Double Feature. Uh, we'll see you on the next one.